to Big Red Couch, the podcast about making role-playing games. A group of GMs and players draw ideas from the mystery box and bring their game pitches to you. Hello listener, and welcome to episode 154 of The Big Red Couch. Here in the plague-stricken lands of Albion, I am Craig, and across in the quarantined isles... is Ben, where we currently being confronted by a plague of lawnmower. It's a single lawnmower. I don't, really, I don't think it counts as a pandemic. It's a beautiful day in New Zealand and you're a horrible lawnmower. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's one of those local um, terms of jolly... We'll call it a slur, please. Get out of it, you bloody lawnmower. Mm, just think, if, if New Zealand's sort of biological history had gone slightly differently... The, you know, the, the, the concept of the lawnmower could be a very different thing. It could be that a three-metre-tall, actually terrifying bird has taken residence on your suburban lawn, and there's shit all you can do about it. There would be absolutely nothing... You, your options would be would be limited. A, be a protected species that could also kick your car across the road. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, you're, you're, you're confronted with an, with an ostrich that's basically a... Mix, mix sized chicken. Um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where, where, yeah. Where does a three meter tall flightless bird go? Anywhere it wants. Yeah. Yeah. That would be, um, true. That's a, that is interesting. The idea that, I mean, the vast number of New Zealand native bird life and even, you know, the, the imports are delightful. We've got the, the fantails, the puwaka waka, just like, boogieing around in the branches around our, th- around our place and the tuis singing just weird car alarm songs random times so yeah it's like the idea that you know also would have these frankly terrifying dinosaur creatures st- strolling around doing their thing because they'd have to eat a lot i wonder if it'd be a bit like moose in canada where it's just kind of a you just let them do what they want because they're going to anyway like it's stopping them would be would would you know irritate them and severely endanger you. Yeah, I've I've only seen I saw saw one image. I think it was I no, it was a video of somebody driving past one. It's like you get a the idea of the scale and just the 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 graceful but ponderous movement of something that is oh yeah that thing is is two and a half meters to two meters sort of like this at the shoulder. Hmm. It is fucking enormous. <laughs> it can, in fact, step over a um, a subcompact and use it as a belly scratcher. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a substantial land mammal, and you're uh, you're not going to win any 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 scraps you get into it uh, directly. <laughs> yeah, so so it's don't. Probably a good thing it's herbivorous, or at least hasn't been caught being carnivorous. And, and actually, to be fair, there are. Legends of Moose in a Fjordland. Nice. You know, one of those wacky colonial, hey, this would be great moose hunting country. It's like, no, Fjordland, most of it's vertical down directly into freezing uh, glacier-fed water. Why would you go there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you release moose there, you are never finding them again. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> and one could argue that that is exactly what's happened. Yes, yes. That <laughs> is, that's why it's... It's... I mean, I... Found in the uh, one of the local, lo- more local libraries, a uh, books of, and, and these are severe, these are rather personally self-published kind of thing, tomes of moa sightings and evidence that moas might still be alive. But it's like, mm, 
you're going to a there's a lot of circumstantial evidence and eyewitness reports and so forth, but not a lot of hey, we found a mower, guys. <laughs> so it's like, is, is it similar to that whole yeah, that the whole theory of um sort of a Chinese fleet having sailed into the Mediterranean and absolutely nobody wrote anything down about it? Is uh, it sort of at that level? <laughs> it, it's more. It's more likely that there may have been mower up to like maybe the beginning of the 20th century maybe but they were a very very small number and maybe the last of their kind kind of thing mm. but t- tales and, and retellings of that kind of blurred the entire business so yeah it seems that they 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 are done for unfortunately so we have to uh make do with imagining having you know lawn ornaments that are like Legs like tree trunks, and well, so we get that Jurassic Park thing going on because you know we can get mm-hmm. Moa, Hast Eagle, a few other creatures back, mm-hmm. make tramping in New Zealand really dangerous again, as opposed to really <laughs> mildly dangerous if the weather turns. Yes, yes, well, yeah, presently, <laughs> yes, presently in, in New Zealand, you the only thing you have to worry about when tramping is water and whether, <laughs> whether it is, um moving rapidly en masse or has gone hard and um <laughs> is for falling out of the sky so yes mm. or you've just run out of it or you've drunk some of the uh untreated stuff and you've been given given yourself a galloping giardia yes yes water in all its myriad uh, and exciting forms indeed do not trust it <laughs> <laughs> yes yes thank you immortal ben <laughs> Yes, it will abandon you. Will you will resent its absence? <sighs> right. Well, that, that ended uh, ended us up in a weird spot, but um, no weirder than the um, source of the prompt for today's episode being Drab Majesty. Indeed, for episode one fifty four, which it sounds like we're being all super organised and um, coherent about. So, shall I roll out the uh, the, the explanation or? could because i mean i have my theory as to what the explanation is but i think i'm wrong fair enough basically i blame youtube because the algorithm linked together a bunch of random topics and i think from looking at documentaries about chernobyl i got to a brilliant uh, music video called uh for a song called nazaya which means at dawn by a group called Alliance, and these are genuine 80s synth-pop Russian guys, and they look fantastic. One of the, the gents who only, who died a couple of years ago, unfortunately, is a fellow called Oleg, and he's there in his Hawaiian shirt, his baseball cap, and his single-eye Cylon-style sunglasses, living his best life, playing the uh, synthesizer with one hand behind the very, very emotionally involved singer. It's a lovely tune too. So it's 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 a little bit somber, maybe, but a, it, a, is a class, a, it is Russian. It is a little Russian, but yep, but a classic of its time. And that linked me off to random other synth pop stuff, which eventually led me down the rabbit hole of finding this group called Drab Majesty. And it was literally their little thumbnail for one of their things, which basically looks like someone set up a mannequin with like super thick cyberpunk shades and a shock of 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 silverish white hair and like just blank white features in a random convenience store reading a magazine and it's like 
but no, it's not. It's not a mannequin. This is their look. This is their deal, and they play this really mellifluous kind of. It's, it's a very very layered synth pop sound. Isn't it? Find quite enjoyed it, but also the the um, the liner notes for their um, album Modern Mirror describe in very extravagant terms about how it's a retelling of Orpheus and Eurydice and so forth, and it's and and the the combination of their commitment to their to the bit. My misapprehension that they might have been Euro- European or something, and they were kind of it was sort of like a a, a nostalgic Im- imagining of a past that never happened, but it appears to be entirely american and not quite as niche as i thought because apparently they nearly made it uh, like an international tour to new zealand last year huh. it, they were only they were they were doing their um asia and australasia tour they only stopped in like february or so february or april due to the pandemic and at that point i would have had no idea who they were i wonder if i saw some advertising somewhere it seems unlikely i don't get to the places where they put posters up for that sort of thing anymore so anyway I probably rattled away at you on one of our recording conversations, much like I'm doing now. Were they the band who you described the, the music as being like if if Morrissey wasn't a git and was living in an abandoned undersea shopping mall playing concerts to no one? Um, I think that was more Black Marble, to Fair be honest. They, these guys have a very sort of, um, like I say, very l- layered kind of sound. And I was like, I think I made a joke last time about, you know, we probably, probably have more listeners or something, something of that nature. No, absolutely not. They've got like 40,000 people on Facebook and this doesn't feel like a Facebook kind of deal. It seems like they're, uh, they're doing, they're doing fine. They don't need our, um, support or, uh, or, or boost. <laughs> but if you know, if you, awesome. <laughs> oh, absolutely not. But you know, if you if you if you like the, the the synth pop vibe, or you're looking for something quirky in a cyberpunk sort of genre, I heartily recommend it. It's a, it's a, it's a good listen. So, and I think I blathered on about some of the stuff while we are setting up our recordings, and uh, you've decided topic. So here we are. Well, I mean, I've listened. Yeah, I have listened to their stuff. To be honest, I I think I prefer Black Marble, but that was just me. Mm, fair, that's absolutely that's absolutely fair. So yes. Drab Majesty. I came up with an idea. Awesome. Rather, an idea implanted itself into my head and wouldn't go away. Yep, yep, that's synth pop for you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, okay, so what Drab Majesty made me think of, weirdly enough, for, for some reason this made me remember the game Castle Falkenstein. Okay. Which is your, um, for, because it's a reasonably old game. Mm-hmm. Um, it is basically magical steampunk uh, in the 18-something or others. Mm. Yeah, it was like Napoleonic slightly slightly later. It's slightly later, because I do remember Bismarck oh. showing up at one point. Ah, so like quasi-Victorian. Yeah, quasi-Victorian... High society, high adventure kind oh, yes. of... Very, very, very swashbuckly sort of... Three Musketeers was a bit later, kind of thing. Hmm. Probably a bit of, bit of parallel, but that sort of deal. Yeah, so that's... And yeah, so far, the Dra- yeah, for some reason, Drab Majesty just got itself associated with that in my head, and I have no idea why. And so in an attempt to make it go away, I tried to have it make sense. And well, basically, having started to think about yeah, the various sort of... Various kings, I mean, the obvious one is, I think, uh, French King um, Louis XIV, the, the, the Sun King, hmm. who was... 
yeah, very, very much into the the resplendent majesty, the um, the pomp and grandeur of the throne, and also the bringing all power centralized under him. Mm, as, a, as you know, God's representative on earth, etc., etc. Kind of, you know, they've got they feel they've got to look the part, and looking extra was something of a something of a thing for them. Something of a thing, and so it's just kind of okay. So you've got. Yeah, you, you, you've got the, yeah, you know, your, your exalted majesty and the drab majesty. And what it got me thinking about is, is not so much the, 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 the dark, you know, that you could have your, your exalted majesty, the king, but then behind the scenes, there's sort of, it's not really the dark mirror so much as the gray shadow, the drab majesty, the other mm. half of the throne, the bit of the throne that we don't talk about, and maybe that we don't know about, who, is there to deal with the stuff that the Exalted Majesty can't or doesn't. So it's a, not bipartisan, but like a, a dual, these aren't like different courts, like a, like a fey court kind of thing. I was trying desperately not to. I mean, I I came up with a couple of different ways of doing it, depending on, on how weird you wanted to go. The, the less weird version is that you know, you've got a royal family. Everybody knows how this is supposed to work. Ideally, you want an heir and a spare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Except that with the firstborn, they got identical twins. Which means Ooh. they've got an heir and a spare, but they've also got a problem. Yes. Interesting. And so the solution to the problem, which was possibly possibly not intended by the... Um, the, the powers of the throne, but what ended up happening was, well, we'll educate both of them, but we'll keep the fact that they were, there are twins a closely guarded secret. That way, if something happens to yeah. one of them, we've got a spare. Infant mortality being what it is and so forth. And, um, maybe it's, maybe it's regarded as an extremely fortunate or blessed thing inside the, 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 the society. So, you know, they couldn't do the, you know, brutally expedient thing of going, ah, which one do we like more? Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. So they've got they've got the air and the spare, and they're starting to reach the point where, okay, at some point they need to pick one, and the solution that's come up with is okay, we're actually going to have the the resplendent majesty and the drab majesty, the one who isn't resplendent, who doesn't draw attention to themselves, and who deals with the other side of kinging as it were interestingly that i never fully understood it because i don't think it was supposed to make sense particularly but the um the queen of naboo was kind of that idea that either she had a bunch of seconds or doubles but they all kind of had the same skill set so when i think they just they actually just used this to explain why they could have it appeared that you know padma was blown up at some point just mm. as a bit of a bit of a twist, but the imp- the implication was when she steps away in, in like the Clone Wars series to be a senator, there's still a queen because they kind of got a bunch of them and they're all good at their their jobs, yeah. and also they are kind of their roles. They don't get to be too much of their own their own person when they're not being the queen. It, it was somehow it wasn't quite elected. It was yeah, it seemed big exotic hats probably pinched from some. Earth culture that wasn't f- properly um, <laughs> didn't have properly its IP locked down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you got to get on that shit, people. 
Indeed, indeed. Especially for those, those aliens afoot. And, yeah, it would, that's very, that was an ambiguous example, but yeah, the idea that you almost have a, I don't know if you, if they take it in shifts or one was, one was selected, was selected and trained to do one thing. Maybe even the idea that the, the resplendent king is masked or garbed or something so that you don't know what exactly they look like. And the, the drab majesty gets to go around and be a person. So maybe their, their role is not nearly as onerous in some ways. Hmm. So game. Oh, the way I see it, yeah, there's sort of, you could go with that version of it. You could go with the much weirder, okay, let's lean heavily into the magic version of it. And that some part of the appointment of the king actually causes this split. That at the same point that the crown is lowered onto the head of of the exalted majesty, somewhere in a parallel um, throne room, I quite like the idea of it being like directly underneath... Uh, or maybe you know, maybe the throne's against a wall, and, and on the other side there yeah. is the other throne. Yeah, the <laughs> other throne that the drab majesty comes into being. They're two parts of the same thing. Um, right. In any case, the game... And yeah, that would be if you were leaning much heavily into the weirder weirder side of it. But yeah, I think that sounds the, yeah, sinister Gormengastian kind of oh, yeah. thing. I think the game is one... And this is where the, the Castle falkenstein bit comes in in spades, is where the Drab Majesty basically enlists the players who are guards, people of the court, in some way related to the court, to help deal with a problem. Hmm. I think it's more fun, I would think, if they don't know about the Drab Majesty at the start of the game, because being confronted with somebody who is an exact physical duplicate of the king who isn't the king, is kind of fun. Hmm. And yeah, if it was a one-shot, it would be a, there is this threat possibly to to the line of succession itself, to the kingdom itself, whatever. If you're going with a longer game, it's a bit more, what is the threat of the week? You know, what's the cardinal up to this time? Um, hmm. Etc. That's kind of the game I have in mind. I very much like... I don't know, just mentally to me, this fits fits in well with the idea of yeah, sword play and the occasional, um, you know, the occasional pistol shot, but also dances and f- fan twitching and and um, flowery speeches as well in, in some contexts. Indeed, you know, the whole thing of okay, so there is an assassin after the king. The king's in the middle of a um, a a ball. We can't interrupt that. Mm. So we need to deal with this without anybody noticing. Yeah. That kind of thing. That's that's what this one brought to me. The the idea that you've got these these people who are sort of effectively working a job that is partway between this brightly coloured and um and and well lit and courtly world of the the, the resplendent majesty and the grey colourless uh, world of the drab majesty. The idea that possibly these are representatives that you know that that come from the the, the exalted court, mostly, but the drab powers as they were are fundamentally ninjutsu for your courtly types. That is extremely effective and 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 so forth because it it subverts all of the traditions and principles. But it also changes you to being more of that world. 
So mm. the idea there's some sort of not quite a corruption mechanic, but it's like a kind of a, a you are advancing down a path which there may not be entirely a return from. And the idea that sometimes there are members of the court that are there, but they don't appear to do anything as far as the exalted side of things are concerned. But no, they're actually very, very busy and active. It's just not in the ways they can see. But the idea that you're getting drawn away from that world would be kind of interesting. Mm. Starting to realise that, um, yes, that, 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 that guy who mostly seems to be kept around for old times' sake because he's a loyal friend of the king, but he doesn't really do anything at court. Mm. He does do stuff at court. It's just not stuff you've ever seen before. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that would be a... I guess that's that's effectively a, a setting modifier for what for could be any sort of any sort of hierarchical you know courtly kind of thing, but the idea that there is also this shadow that um, is an intrinsic part of it that allows everything to run smoothly. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of cool. Mm. And the question then comes, you know, obviously the the drab majesty knows about the exalted majesty. Hmm. Is the reverse necessarily true? And if, if they were twins and raised together, then yeah, obviously they well, probably they're going to know about each other. Yeah. I mean, if they're also, they were like the same person effectively yeah. divided into these two allegiances. But then again, maybe it's the exalted, the majesty's role not to know that maybe that was, that's part of their prediction of total, total control and power is that they are literally prevented from seeing all of those, uh, the grubby gloves off stuff. Mm, the the, the mm. seedy underbelly of the kingdom. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Cool. Mm. Uh, that's that, that's what I came up with for that one. I'm not quite sure why Castle Falkenstein felt like such a good um, fit for it, but yeah. it yeah, wouldn't like leave my head. Interesting. Yeah, no, that's pretty cool. I like it. Huzzah! What what did you come up with for this one? I was still struck by the the very flowery text. About the you know modern retelling of the 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 tragedy of Orpheus and Eurydice. If, if you've not come across it before, it's been it's been re reused and retold in many different ways. But basically, Orpheus, who was a minor demigod, apparently perfected the lyre, though which the, uh, the 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 early harp, though one of the gods invented it, and could sing and and play music to enchant anything. Apparently, you know, rocks and trees, sort of stuff. He's he's very good at this thing. He falls in love with the beautiful Eurydice. They're going to be married. And depending on which version, she is bitten on the ankle by a viper and perishes. And he's, he's heartbroken. But because he's so admired by literally everything because of his, music, his, his musical ability, he is given access to the underworld and clues on how he can, he can descend into the underworld and re- recover her. And, you know, he, he like, befriends Cerberus and, and, and talks, talks out with, we're dealing with Hades or Pluto, one of the, one of the two, depending on which, which version we're talking about, and gets an agreement that he can rescue Eurydice from the afterlife if, if he leaves walking out in front of her and doesn't look back until they're both back in the summit world, as it were. And, you know, easy peasy things. And through whatever, for whatever reason, he either exits the um, the underworld just far enough ahead of her and turns around too soon, and she her shade is just dismissed because he could couldn't hear her following him because she's a she's a spirit at this point or something. But he he screws up, 
she's gone and at this point it gets a bit more various he either goes um becomes very mortal and assures the company of women is torn to pieces in some sort of Dionysian rite or struck by lightning or all sorts of terrible things happen but basically he gets very mopey first can't tell what the moral of this story apart from gods can be dicks but you know that's mm. Greek myth for you um but I guess it's an expression of dealing with grief in some way so you could read it as being you have to let go at some point you you're going to these these extravagant lengths to try and undo the tragic event mean effectively made things worse and which I guess is part of the tragedy so Thinking about that, that, that kind of that kind of gotcha in a role playing game would suck. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, you've got to do the thing, do all the things, do all the things, do all the things at the last moment. Rug pull, or oh, you fight, you failed a dice a dice roll. I guess everything sucks. It's not the, it's not the kind of thing that you want to put into it. And you could you could use it as a, a framing device for someone else's story. But the one thing that I came up regarding that was. Maybe somebody runs a service along these lines that they go into an underworld or an afterlife or something to retrieve people. And given that it makes slightly more coherent sense, but not a lot, the idea that this could be um, digital personality archives that, you know, maybe got captured by some malware on a toaster because everything is going to be the Internet of Things and terrible and is swirled away in some unformatted portion of memory somewhere scattered out in the in, in cyberspace. So you've got this crew of extremely skilled dungeon-delving hackers who go looking for these traces and find like the personality constructs of somebody who maybe perished without having a, a, a more recent backup made. And they're supposed to retrieve them from there. And rather than having the, you know, the object of what they're retrieving vanish like a puff of smoke at the uh, at the last minute because of something i'm wondering if the the tragedy in the story is that maybe and this would be a bit of a should be telegraphed there's something wrong with what they're they're up to the idea would be that the you know they're doing this 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 role but there's coming that people may not want to come back they're not being sent by by folks who have entirely the best intentions maybe the people in question aren't actually dead yet and they're basically getting a a dodgy copy for whatever terrifying reason that could be, you know, used for industrial espionage or being taken by a stalker or something like that. So the idea that the um, the the Orphean tragedy of this is they're realizing this role that they have they've chosen out for themselves is actually terrible, and they're kind of bad people for doing it. I mean, it, it's that's not much less of a rug pull, I confess. But the idea might be that this you can telegraph it bit where you can you can. You can suggest it better over the course of of play. You can yeah. You can start to figure out that. Hang on a sec. You know, you're, you're going around effectively capturing bits of somebody's personality mm. from, let's assume, leaky hardware or some sort of a, a, amorphous sea of data. Basically, mm. where, where all like, all technology starts to bleed together at some point. Yeah, I mean, the notion that the person isn't actually dead. Yeah, they, then you're, you're effectively getting you're effectively getting a clone of them through very unhanded means. Mm. Or alternatively, discovering that somebody else 
is gathering these, is, yeah, is also looking for these fragments, only that somebody else is the coherent and, and assembled personality um, of that person who's attempting to clean up the bits before somebody else finds them. Yeah, or maybe you've just recovered a really shitty person and <laughs> they're mm. better off not coming back, you know, for, for, for the rest of the world's benefit. Yeah, and that would be, I mean, oh, and the, the other thing might be that, you know, you're diving into this place means that you're leaving something of your yourself behind and that might manifest it like, oh, is that me? Am I seeing reflections of myself? I think I've been watching a lot of stuff like WandaVision, which is kind of trippy manufactured reality stuff. I am a couple of episodes into that, so... Yep, yep. So there's an there's a interesting semi-animated thing called Undone, in which, apparently due to a car accident, the protagonist is unstuck from time. They use the rotoscoped kind of... What was the Philip K. Dick movie with the... Um... Uh, a Scanner Darkly. Yeah. So they use the, the same rotoscoped animation technique as uh, a Scanner Darkly. So they, they can do naturalistic acting... And then suddenly have the entire scene rearrange itself, be submerged in water, or somebody suddenly is in the seat of the, the car as it's crashing, which then it falls, just shatters into pieces kind of thing. Really trippy huh. kind of, it's really very cool. And also watched a little bit of a web series, which is framed as a let's play of a game called Diminished. And the guy playing the game is is relating the tale that someone made this game just for him. But it's heavily implied that this person's no longer alive. The person who designed the game appears to be trying to get the player to deal with the fact they haven't dealt with their death. Which is huh. terrible transport for therapy, but is an interesting web series. And it's it's also one of those horrific rage games where you do lots of very, very complex platforming. But watching this person fail over and over again, getting really frustrated, actually part of the, the journey. Wow. Okay. I, I would hate that game, but yeah, that's... Oh, it's brutal. It is absolutely one of those ones where you, you would, and it, that's, that's part of the thing. It's part of this, this bashing up against these brick walls as part of the story. But the idea of making it a, this, this space really trippy and surreal. And most people, most people don't go there because it's just so upsetting and un, unreal. And your, your crack team may have reasons that they do this. Probably not super healthy reasons either. Maybe maybe a system like Headspace would be useful for it. Mm-hmm. It's it's giving me a certain amount of Inception vibe. To a degree, yeah. The the the, the malleability of the environment, and maybe that is a part of the um, thing. There's also a I've got a copy of a like late nineties game called Shattered Dreams, which is a Basically, dream a dream walkers fighting monsters and other people's psychological dream spaces. It was an interesting system that you involved only you rolling d12s. Bold choice. Yes, they're in the pocket of big d12. <laughs> yes, one particular faction of big polyhedral. Indeed, they're 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 a divisive and violent bunch. But yes, <laughs> that's interesting. I. I do, I do like that. I, I particularly like the notion that that this sort of digital digital space sort of inherently hangs on to bits of whatever is around. Yeah, the the sticky things yeah. are. It it leaves traces, so there's going to be traces of you in there. Mm. You could have 
yeah, if you want, if you wanted to do the sort of game where it turns out that you're not on the side of the angels of this one, that either the person you're recovering is not a good person who should really stay dead, or is being recovered very much against their own will, mm. the idea that these sticky remnants of you are going to be part of the clues indicating that you're on the wrong path here oh, yeah. appeals to me. Maybe just making the the environment kind of upsetting, and maybe that's the the bit you have to you struggle with, or even maybe even more disturbingly, maybe you you come across partial sort of imprints. But to you know to get more of a complete copy, you have to kind of fill in the gaps with your own psyche. You have to merge with these kind of jittery, glitchy kind of apparitions to find out more, and you are very much doing yourself harm to 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 do these things and. Um, the hope is that you can get to the um, get to the bottom of it and like and and have a complete image to separate one from the other, but all <laughs> the while you're you're doing yourself like this, this this it's a very dangerous and just positioning like this place is just weird. And Don't splicing trust it. in splicing in bits of your own psyche in order to stabilize the one you're looking for enough to try to figure out where the next bit is. Yeah. With the assumption that once you find it, you can substitute it in and get back that bit of your own psyche. Yeah, and it's the transfer isn't like seamless. There's mm. there's, there's some overlap. So yeah, can make it a very a very troubling story. That's for sure. Because mm. tearing out bits bits of yourself in order to well tearing yeah. out slash copying bits of yourself, but that involves kind of examining it. To a certain degree, and being aware of your issues, but that also not being—it's not being a place. It's not a safe healing place to do that. It is a—it uh, is a bit of a, a bit of, a bit dangerous. Interesting. That's—I won't say quite fun, but it's a really fun idea. A fun, harrowing mm. idea. Yeah, um, and actually, I think part of what led me down that—that that harrowing sort of thing—the um, Dread, Maj- Dread Majesty as a band. They have their style. They are doing their thing. And if you're if just looking at the random things from even just Facebook, it's like they are completely committed to their bit of being uh, cyberpunk mannequins from a future that never happened kind of thing. And they're, they're completely committed to it. I guess one of the things I've been thinking about is, you know, there are a lot of... We don't, in role-playing games, have a language to describe, oh... He's a very Schopenhauerian GM or something like that. We can't, it's very difficult for us to say with any level of clarity what sort of game people, people, people play or run themselves. They kind of, we kind of smash them into the game system they're running and, oh, we do, it's a kind of a comedy game kind of thing because we don't have that language at this point. It doesn't exist as far as I can tell. Some mechanical stuff. There's a little bit of game design things, but the way that people, yeah, about the best you've got is sort of where, where somebody might sit on the the, the gamist narrativist simulationist uh, uh, and and that that's that's field. Poor, that's poorly understood because that's a mm. way of designing games. It's not a way of playing games. It was never intended to be. I mean, you might really like games that have a very simulationist element to them, but that doesn't mean you're a simulationist. You can't say play fiasco in a simulationist way. Mm. I think, because <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it would be a challenge. It would. It would. It would be. If you, even if it was possible, it would be difficult. So, I guess one of the things that you know, 
that may never happen. You know, what I, I've made some notes about is the idea that we may never have that language. I mean, existential threats aside, there may never be a big enough audience or enough, like, focus of this academic sort on these, on, on role-playing games, because it's a relatively niche hobby. Even, even like yeah. the, the, the millions of pixels of e-inks put about in video games, which are about as old, but much bigger audience, a much bigger market are mostly focused on a really small set of games and experiences and have, they have a lot more concrete, a lot easily more recorded interactions where role playing <laughs> games are much more discrete and personal and, and interactive between different people. And I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm certainly not saying that role-playing games are too transcendental for us to do this with. It just might, that the timeline might be too long, that we may never get around to it. Maybe, for the example, that, that, that we don't have a, and it's a very silly example, we don't have Olympic headbutting. That's an accurate statement. Yeah, we, <laughs> I know, I'm good with, I'm good with those. Um, but we don't have like, ah, yes, I see, he's empo- employing the Glaswegian technique. Uh, okay, yep, I, I see where we're going with this. All right, took a minute. Yeah. So, yes, as, as I mean, this might change with the advent of a lot more Let's Plays being on online, and but I don't know if there is a, there is sort of like a huge impetus to study how people do role-playing interactively. The closest I've heard is people describing themselves in terms of people on Critical Role. Oh God, we are all going to die. <laughs> I mean, so, I'll be honest, my reaction to it is always kind of a, uh-huh, I'm not really sure what that means, I, I haven't listened to it. I, so. I'm sure that's, it's, I'm sure that is fine and harmless and, you know, I'm glad people get to enjoy that sort of stuff, but it's kind of like saying you're a Samantha. Sex and the City reference? I think I'm very, very uninformed. But yes, it's a bit reductive and also derived off like a pretty narrow and really... I, I haven't actually watched it, but it is, I suspect, hyper-polished compared to your normal role-playing experience. That is my, my limited... Well, it's, it's effectively RPGs being played by people who can act. Yeah, so... Yeah, I know. I do remember when the, the, the podcast Serial came out and having to describe an RPG podcast in terms of how it differs from a podcast about the, inve- about a criminal investigation got old real fast. Right. Yeah. It, I can't really, yeah, it's hard to do the overlap. There's a, I, I've listened to the one true crime one, which felt completely false. Because so they didn't really land it then. It felt very contrived. It was like, oh, this person is really suspicious, and we do all these things, and we do this, and we follow them around. And no, it's they're completely nothing to do with the story. I mean, I've run that yeah. as an RPG session, but it's <laughs> it you know it it's I, I, it's hard to draw a parallel with that. But yeah, serial to like I, I'm not even sure I understand the the, the, the thing there. So it was somebody it was, asking. It was effectively the. Um, what happens when the only reference somebody has to what a podcast is, is this one hyper-specific example? Yeah, that would be futile in the best of circumstances. It really was. Yeah, and because they don't have, I mean, I mean, presumably they, if you say, oh, we, we, instead of talking about, what was it, this, but the first one was like a, a, a very confusing 
true crime story about a murder, we talk about breeds of dogs. Like, oh, right, breeds of dogs, not this weird game I don't understand. Yeah. It's one of those bridge too far situations. Definitely. Okay. So that's a bit of a jumbled pile of stuff. Yeah, I, but I, I, sorry, I think the, the conclusion to that horror, that, that very disjointed arc is that maybe it is best in the interim to focus on doing the thing that you do in your games and be sort of conscious about it and deliberate about it. Because there is not a, while we have like books of rules about encumbrance and, and, you know, weapon ranges and attack speeds and so forth. We, protoplasmic system shock ratios. Exactly. It's probably, good for you to focus on I mean, not to the exclusion of all other things, there are certain, you know, things that make a game run well in general like remembering how these rules work and you know, sorting these things out there's lots of practical guidance about what you should have a GM screen or not, or if you have one, what you pin to the inside but there should be something about the way you present your games that is you, it should be something that that is your thing, if it is putting on white face paint, a leather jacket, big sunglasses and kind of like a spiky shock of hair and, and you know, pretending everything is like some sort of 90s neon nightmare. You do you. That's that's your thing. I mean, I'm kind of into that, but only a yeah. little. It, it's, it's a lot of effort, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> Vast amount of effort, but... Yeah. It, it could be rewarding. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's... I'm, we don't really do advice, do we, in this in this podcast? But oh, I mean, we do bun- bunches of advice, but we also temper it with the fact that nobody should listen to our advice because we're idiots. And if you've been listening all the way through the show, you have to have figured that out by now. <sighs> to be fair, there are plenty of idiots who give advice. Okay, I'm thinking talkback radio. What's everybody <laughs> else got on their minds? Piers Morgan. Um. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, he can't be that big of an idiot. He makes m- lots of money, but yes. <laughs> Valid. Yeah, the quality of the advice notwithstanding, that, that is, and what you can learn from someone's advice may be... V- the- various people over the last year have made the comment that they, they realise that the end times are upon us when they find themselves agreeing with Piers Morgan. And it is just yeah. because he's basically figured out a new way of being contrarian in order to get people to listen. Yep. But they still resent the fact that they have ended up on the same side as Piers Morgan on an issue. Yeah, that's fair. But, you know, it might, the advice might be the antithesis, not the, the thesis. They might, right, what, what are they advising? Okay. <laughs> but yeah, so, but it's, it's just one of those things that, you know, thinking about thinking about how games are run and getting to be a, a player a sort of like a, a short game recently and sort of thinking about how you do stuff i'm still trying to coalesce some ideas but i'm pretty confident that if there is a thing that you you enjoy doing and it makes your game better obviously if you're just being a tall bag and making your making the game less fun don't do that but yeah maybe maybe it's just like commit to the bit do take the the, the drab majesty we are totally about this and run with it. Indeed. Hmm. That was, that was almost profound. I don't really, I wasn't prepared for that. I'm sorry. Um, I didn't, didn't have a bit. <laughs> the other note that I have, which I haven't fleshed out at all, is that is if, um, role playing games were coding, you know, or related to the development of software, 
we would still all be using Fortran and we would call all coding Fortran. God, that's depressing. <laughs> I think that was a reaction to somebody saying something about fantasy heartbreakers and people. There's going to be a new wave of people who play D&D and only D&D trying to make a better role-playing game just on based on that. And it's inevitable and kind of sad, but, you know. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure I agree that we would we would call it Fortraining and that's what we'd be doing. I think you could look at the... Okay, co-bowling then. I, I, I'm wondering if you can look at the wide swath of increasingly specific um, or programming languages and, and um, yeah, you can sort of... Oh, God. Of course, that means that something like Python is GURPS. Yeah, might not be old enough, but yeah. <laughs> it, it, that, that's, a, that's a whole field of nerd analogy that we probably don't have time to get into. Yeah, or it just shouldn't. Yeah, okay, that's so, the other option. Very, cool. should, should we veer, veer wildly away from that and onto uh, John's suggestion? Yay, John has some content for us, which is probably less contentious. <laughs> yeah, excellent. John writes, and it's on the topic of Drab Majesty. The Grand Empire. Spanning across the land, the Empire is the predominant polity of the world. All other kingdoms bow to its might and majesty, and have done so for more than 200 years. Such a magnificent and drab majesty. If there is a defining feature of the Empire, it is one of ennui. The last battle of note took place 50 years ago in the West Country, when a band of goblins raided some shepherds for some mutton. Some blood was spilt, but no deaths. As battles go... The goblin raid of Nadir's Point will not be one sung by bards or told over pints of ale in a tavern. And the player characters are sons of nobles. Not the eldest, not the youngest, but the middle children. Destined for obscurity in the annals of the Empire. Raised on the stories of the heroes of yore, they are all champing at the bit over the fact that there is no damsels to rescue, no orcs to fight defending the kingdom, no gorgons to slay. Instead their days are filled with poetry lessons, fencing lessons, riding lessons, book learning... And classes in courtly etiquette. Oh, sure, there's the occasional jousting tournament, but it's so regulated and the safety of the knights is paramount, such that serious injury is but a happenstance, less than a regular occurrence. As the middle child, the PCs are faced with a land of peace. It's no longer an empire ruled by mighty warriors, but one that is the domain of shopkeepers, merchants, and moneylenders. So, England. Sorry, that's me being bitter. Also... Ch- channeling somebody, somebody else commented that y- y- England is a nation of shopkeepers. Mm. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, the might of the Grand Empire is in its purse and trading agreements. Okay, so not England, especially on that last one. I'll shut <laughs> up now. <laughs> Their future is far from bright. Their loss is to be given a spot of land, a baronet title, a doughty but sturdy spouse. How do you pr- how do you pronounce that word? I think doughty. Doughty. Okay, a doughty but sturdy spouse. Produce sufficient airs and get drunk every night because there's bugger all to do. Well, this won't stand. These lads and ladettes will have to make their own fun. While trying to start a war with the neighbouring kingdom would result in their deaths at the hand of the imperial headsman, there's other things they could do. Maybe become masked bandits, or sally forth into the northern mountains in search of glory, or whatever their tiny little minds can come up with. This is a setting where adventure and excitement are not in abundance. But instead, the PCs get to find a way to reenact the tales of old and perhaps shake things up in the Grand Empire. So what do you think, sires? Nice. Like it. Um, The phrase that I I came up with is dynastic safety scissors. (coughs) 
instead of the the normal thing, which definitely plagues plagues the empire, especially uh, over the course of the history of China, is where you would start off with some hot-blooded and very effective warlord take over the place, train up his son to be pretty good, not great, gets a bit tied, bogged down bureaucracy, and by like the third generation, they completely unable to completely divorced from the rest of reality and the rest of the running of the world and prime spot to be uh, overrun by the next um, dynamic warlord (laughs) so yeah it's like they've somehow defeated this by making the entire place as boring as possible which is a a feat because normally the the empire and decline thing it it leads you know into uh civil war bloodshed more recently fascism um Apropos of nothing, um, ow! And whatever the this this particular the Grand Empire has done has basically just it's it's somehow suppressed all of that by making the, the entire place inert and dull. And presumably, I mean, it's an empire. You get empires by arriving in someone else's land and nicking their shit and telling everyone what to do. Yeah, their shit being the land. Oh yes, and everything on it, and hmm. sometimes them, um, and then you know, and if so, anyone uh, raises any um, coherent or uh, objections or otherwise, you kill them. It's that's how it's worked so far. Yeah, it's a it's a fairly robust system. It's so the test of time, quite literally. It, yeah, well, yeah, it it certainly has an immediate upsides for the uh, the people who employ it. But yeah, I guess. I guess you know if if it's if it's so internally stable, then you're just kind of pay, playing hooligans in this weird, weirdly safety conscious medieval setting. It's it does seem a bit of a satire. I mean, nothing wrong with that. But <laughs> I mean, you've already mentioned Gormenghast once, but um, true, yeah, Gormenghast does come to mind here that. The Empire is very safe and regimented. There's certainly the ennui, the idea that everything has just... It, it's like experienced a sort of a social heat death. There's just no more energy left. So things are just slowly crumbling and and ticking to a halt. It, this doesn't seem quite as, quite as dire a situation. Maybe it's heading there. Give it a few more generations and it will. Yeah, maybe, maybe. And you could have... Uh, what I'm trying to do, and the reason for the, the sudden pause there, was me trying to come up with a way, with with sort of ways of doing this that don't subvert the basic concept. Because mm. that is my natural instinct here, and that's really not the point of of this one as I as as I see it. But yeah, the, the idea of these, these second-born nobles, and I will also point out that there is a, um, a Disney movie, which I have not watch but is sitting on disney plus called the secret society of second born royals huh. uh, though that apparently may involve superpowers i hate on the details i haven't watched it it looks vaguely interesting you could oh you could very easily make this a discover what is out beyond the edges of the empire that nobody in the nobody in, in the empire even knows about hmm. what's out there if you wanted to really subvert it you could sort of see, okay, here's all the shit that the Empire's up to that they don't tell anybody about, but that very much subverts the concept. Mm. I think at the very least, the the players need to run into some sort of threat to the Empire, 
and have to deal with it. I would actually anticipate that they are the threat to the Empire. That comes later, but yes. <laughs> not, not, I mean, not, not a unique or, um, you know, so, something that they, that the Empire might not have anticipated, but the idea that, you know, that they're getting wild ideas about, um, adventure and excitement. That might be, you know, the, the, the worst thing for the Empire is smooth, the Empire's smooth running that could be. Mm. The Empire has just become completely static. Mm. It's homeostasis. It's, it's like whatever all of the mechanisms mean that everything is brought back to the current, um, situation. You know, you have a, you have a barony, you, you need a, a, a baronet to, um, whatever the, the diminutive is. So you need people to run things and you just replace the parts and you keep on going and nothing ever changes. Mm. It's an interesting one. I mean, the idea of, yeah, the idea of first or second level adventurers. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go with D and D for this because it doesn't, it doesn't feel quite right. No. I, I like, I very much like the idea of having these characters who are fantastically skilled in all of the courtly skills. And probably fantastically skilled in fencing and, and jousting and the like, but aren't fantastically skilled in any of the um, things like this is how you turn a squirrel into food, mm. or this is how you don't die when somebody attacks you. That that I feel has some legs to it because you can at least at least for a little while get the um, the the joy of dropping a, ra- a, a literal rabbit badger into the uh, player's laps and seeing what happens, and having them sort of skill up, as it were, in the more practical side of pointy end goes in the other guy? Maybe, but it's also kind of the a thing that most role players would be really... They'd either be playing to, like, doing the paranoia thing of troubleshooters lost in a, in a, a small patch of scrubby woodland. <laughs> they would be pretending, oh, I don't know what a squirrel is, or so forth, or I, I have no idea to these, these things. They're playing the comedic aspect of that. But they would also have all of those familiarity with, aha, this is how you deal, this is how you tactically deal with stuff in a role-playing game. Mm. Maybe it would be more of a challenge to be in a circumstance where they don't have that familiarity, but they're dealing with normal life. I mean, it might be intensely frustrating and terrible game, but maybe it would be more challenging to put them in the situation where it, the answer is not draw swords, kill everybody, collect XP. Maybe that would be more uh, challenging, per se. The other one could be more fun, though. I freely admit that. I, you could you could, you could, could take a leaf out of the Dogs in the Vineyard book, but not actually tell the players that you're doing it until they show up. <laughs> that if they've... Because, um, you know, why not? Uh, <laughs> yeah, why not be awful? Come on. That's um, <laughs> what we do. So they, they sort of go adventuring in the... Um, you know, the barbarous areas on the edges of the Empire. Note, not actually that barbarous. But, you know, they turn up there. They are clearly, um, nobility. They, they these are, these are, these are baronets. These are people in some vague line to a throne somewhere. Clearly, they are the moral and legal authority of the land and can be called upon to adjudicate disputes and solve problems. Right, and these these terrible barbarian outskirts are, are places where they have a, a fairly hotly contested game of football every weekend. That's their the, the extent of their barbarism. 
Yeah, or it's a couple of villagers on you know, either side of a a river squabbling over fishing rights. Like, very low-stakes shit. Right, so... Yeah, this is, this is poodles in the strawberry patch. This is... Maybe like, a little, yeah. <laughs> you're kind of taking this this thing and making the making it all kind of the moral authority questionable for given 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 degree and the uh, the problems even more kind of the escalation is even even less severe but yeah i guess so that would be a that would be an interesting approach to that you could i weirdly this is putting me in mind of the first season of westworld like the world is supposed to be free of consequence, but maybe it's broken. Well, that too, but also the <laughs> the element of risk thing that where they grew up and where effectively they are expected to stay is the safe area. There is no there is no particular risk. But the further out you go, they're still in the empire, but it's not quite as as tightly measured and controlled. Yeah, it's still it's still got that. Um, you know, it's still got the ennui going on. People are content enough with their lot in life, but the stakes are getting higher mm. until you get right out at the edges of the empire where, again, people are presumably okay with their, their lot in life, but there is more stuff happening and the players are going to find themselves dragged into it. Not so much as they're content as that there is, you know, People have accepted to some degree what's going on, but when stuff happens, the needle swings more violently. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Weird, but interesting. I'm ki- yeah, I'm, I'm kind of. I'm not sure it's... how you would sell that. You're, you're a bunch of know nothings going to the wrong neighborhood and accidentally causing trouble. I mean, I think you just sold it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure, but, but appeal though is your comedy knuckleheads doing the wrong thing in the wrong place. Hmm. Yeah, that one I'd, I'd need to digest a bit more. I think. Hmm. I'd, I'd want something that could deal with the comedy. I'd also want something that could deal with the extremely not comedy. You need well, to be maybe, able to cover both. Maybe sides that's of it. the sub the subversion of John's idea that you're dealing with. Maybe. Maybe the idea is the place is completely padded. There's a completely padded room to a degree, and even just getting a reaction would be, you know, a huge shock. They're, they're struggling in this kind of, you know, it's verging on the on a simulation of real life that they're trying to they're trying to break out. Maybe that's the thing. I am having the notion of uh, sort of yeah, the wall at the edge of the empire, and they sort of yeah, it's very much a there is no war in Ba Sing Se kind of thing. Mm. But yeah, you know, looking looking over the um, the wall, and you know, there's a city on the other side. It used to be the camp of the um, an attacking force, but they are sufficiently locked into the ennui of the empire as well that it's you know, they're still nominally a military camp opposing the empire, but nobody's fired a shot in generations. Hmm. I mean, now we're turning it more and more into a, you know, the Empire is this force of ennui that's sweeping the globe. At some point, yeah. you might be able to find some fire to get out in front of that wave. A civilization of virus. Yeah. Confess, I'm not sure where it's going, though. I, I'm not sure either, but I'm kind of entertained to find out. 
I'm hoping yeah. I'm hoping somebody in the uh, the audience can uh, can can rouse themselves from their own on Wii in order to um, to 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 suggest something. I, I don't, I'm kind of into, I, I'm kind of into the idea. I'm, I'm kind of liking it. Hmm. I'm just having to resist my own urge to massively subvert the thing at the first possible chance. Well, I guess that's your drab majesty. Your uh, that that's your thing about. Uh, Maybe playing and running games. Yeah, here's the thing: how do we fuck with it? Yeah, <laughs> that is that is not not a, a an uncommon impulse. But you you said that you were trying to respect the fact that the ground rules have been laid down. You're actually thinking about what you would subvert rather than ah wrenches, monkey wrenches all over. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna throw bananas everywhere. Yes, where did that come from? Um, so, thank you, John. Uh, I apologise for the terrible, terrible things that I have done to you, um, to your idea, and look forward to the uh, blistering vitriol that no doubt is is coming my way for the the awful, awful things that I did to your lovely notion. <coughs> what? All right, that was heartfelt and shit. <laughs> Go. Uh, so, thank you, John. And we have a, a a pithy direct contribution from Kev regarding one fifty two steel reef, probably. Good to know these things. No one else cares. Yep. We care. And that's what matters. We care a lot. Right. Damn it. From... No, I've got that in my head. Contribution from Kev for a notion from episode 152, Steel Reef. An artificial reef crops up in the North Pacific. People investigate. Horror ensues. Various investigating agencies all think that some other country did it. They're all wrong. That is pithy. Hmm. Yeah. Like it. I mean, I'm thinking Dagon. Well, North Pacific, it's, yeah, it's a bit d- displaced uh, royal air. But yeah, I guess also the uh, it crosses over with your uh, crab fishing territory oh, to yeah. a degree as well. So yes, that would be... And also, and I suspect I suspect this because Kev put me on to the, the game in question, Hostile Waters and Taos Rising is about a utopian future where the last war was fought against basically a cabal of capitalist military industrial interests and fought by like the, the United Peoples of the world using various nanotechnologies that provided, you know, the wherewithal to, to feed and clothe and house people going forward were used to make weapons of war and so forth and um, confront these these forces and drive them... You know, the, the very final resting place was some islands in the, in the Pacific. They return later, and your the player is charged with using the last of the adaptive carriers, a basically a giant floating nano forge that you slowly repair and um, and uh, collect digitized personalities of the combatants from the original from the original conflict and put them into the uh, the machines you create to send against the the generals and. Uh, dictators who still somehow clinging onto it they've come up with a new and more horrible version (laughs) of the uh, nanotech warfare and it involves growing islands and icky bio uh, biomechanical things the entire thing is voiced by um, folks from black seven and the uh, the narrator is uh, tom baker he does a very very fine thing the cutscenes looks as janky as hell but these days but it was always quite a quite a uh, quite interesting game. So yeah, I can't imagine, and this and this one would probably be the would be the opposite. Possibly you make a you you take the liaison group, the multi the multinational group of people, and try and figure out what's going on, 
and they happen to be in the place where they discover, wait a minute, this isn't Russian or American or Chinese or something. This is something else. This is something alien. And they have to work together to survive to get the message out that stop pointing all those guns and missiles at one another. We have a much bigger problem. Yeah. I know there was an idea of ours that had come up at some point. I can't remember where it was, where you basically got the sort of, can we trust our own people? Can we trust each other kind of vibe? There was a bit of Among Us in the four kilometers of imitation crab idea that you came up with, with the creatures replacing things. Ah, yes. Yeah, whereas this one is more... It's weirdly putting me in mind of the one game of the, the fate version of Transhuman Space I played. Okay. Which, I, yeah, I don't know whether this was the... This is the default setting or or not, but yeah, it was basically... Exploring a world, doing xenoarchaeology and biology and that kind of thing, and then everything goes horribly, horribly wrong. As these things tend to do. Yeah. I know, I just sort of got that, you know, that vibe of, yeah, we've all got our own agendas, we've all got things we want to do, oh shit, we're all going to die. Yes. Oh yeah, if you're a xenobiologist and you suddenly realise you're in a film called Space Boogers, mm. it tends to generally be a, a bad scene. Yeah. I'm specific. Yeah, I'm specifically thinking of maybe a, a, anything from a Cold War to a whatever the hell they refer to this part of history as <laughs> the Stupid Age, <laughs> the Dumbening. Yes. Um, I mean, Cold War would add a a certain a certain something to this, or you know, sort of futuristic equivalent of Cold War, because you know there is the whole okay, who did this? Also. How did they do this? Because they're vastly ahead of us if they can create a artificial... Yeah. Presumably if it's an artificial reef, it's an artificial reef that's big enough for somebody to care about. Mm. You know, if it's, if it's a little bit of reef, it could be there for centuries before anybody quite literally runs into it. So presumably this is big, a, a big enough artificial reef that you're at the very least screwing up, um, screwing up shipping, if not ocean currents. Uh, it's just had to be big enough to be noticeable and not been um, built over months like the the ones that China's been creating to extend their um, nautical uh, territory. I mean, that's a problem in and of itself, but it's a different sort of problem. Hmm. So someone's suspecting, ah, oh, right, right, somebody's attempting to annex the entire North Pacific by making artificial reefs. Hey, why can't we see any boats or machinery Involved. Like, it's bigger than it was yesterday, but we haven't seen anybody add anything new to it. Yeah, and so it's like the idea that somebody is responsible for this, we're going to turn up in, in uh, big shiny ships and say, no, don't do that. I was like, wait a minute, everyone else is doing exactly the same thing. Either one of them is bluffing real good. Yeah, somebody's bluffing with a carrier group. <laughs> it's, it's a strong hand. You can still bluff on a strong hand. <laughs> but... Yeah, either that or no, everyone, there is another party involved who is currently cheerfully terraforming in the North Pacific, and we don't know who it is. I might be imagining it, but there's not a lot of islands in the North Pacific. It's pretty sparse. I assume the, the, the water is deep, cold, and um, just mostly full of crabs and uh, <laughs> unfortunates. Yeah, remains of ships. Yeah. <laughs> Fish. 
it does seem as, as far as maps go it might just be the the Mercator projection playing tricks on me but it does seem like a little bit of a you know one of those spots where the people have just kind of overlooked <laughs> they haven't like penciled in interesting stuff yeah it's one of those those weird sort of glitches in the terrain uh, creation algorithm yeah it's yeah. like <laughs> around about this xy coordinate bugger all happens <laughs> we, we got nothing uh yeah you know, part of me is imagining the artificial reef being once somebody looks close enough a city or a, a submerged city that's cropped up but mm. that is yeah that is fully lovecraftian the idea that it is you know a coral reef Ideally, where none, none should possibly exist. Like, it's a coral reef in the North Pacific. Pretty sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, I think the temperatures are wrong. But yeah. Yeah, yeah and a rapidly growing coral reef in the North Pacific. Just, I mean, on the one hand, eventually, it's going to mean you can drive from New York to London. On the downside, that means you can drive from New York to London. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hmm. No, that's, a, that, that's, a, that's one that's got plenty of space to come up with your own idea. So... I have I have been sort of desperately trying to think of how to work the um, John Wyndham novel The Kraken Wakes into this, but I can't quite do it. Cause That's what I've read. I remember Bugger all about. It's basically... It's effectively a story told in, in fairly tight micro-focus on a few characters about mm. the Earth gets invaded, for want of a better, um, better word, by um, aquatic aliens. And mm. they never really figure out what the hell the aliens are or where they came from. They just started to notice, yeah, they started to notice odd things. They started to see, um, you know, sort of whole coastal villages in the Pacific were just completely empty of people. Eventually they figure, figure out that the people are actually being grabbed. Um, the sea level slowly starts to rise. Yeah, you know, the book, the book happens in a very, it's not your cosy catastrophe, because it is actually fairly catastrophic, but um, mm. it happens over a fairly extended time frame. Right. This feels a bit more sudden. It does. It, it's got a bit more like the day the Earth stood still to a degree, except, you know, the the, the, the spot where this menace turns up from is like not just in the um, immediately front of the uh, the capital, wherever the, um, the ship turned up to there. I mean, I am now imagining... For the, the, the horror comedy version of it, where people go and investigate this this artificial reef, horror ensues. There's all sorts of monstrous things occurring there. And it eventually um, it turns out that this is not an alien inv- uh, invasion or anything. This was a, well, look, none of the inhabitants of this, um, th- this planet are using that chunk of ocean. That will be an okay place for us to set up our quarantine zone for these horrifying monsters. What mm. do you mean they've got ships? Why would anybody go there? <laughs> Look, we put the intergalactic sign for no touch all over it. Why are they touching it? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, why is that one licking it? What the hell? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's it. Maybe it is just like a, a massive misunderstanding. Oh, yeah. We've we've been communicating with their governments for, for over, over 50 years. Surely they'll understand what to do. It's like, uh, what do you mean you kept that a secret? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I mean, cool. that one would be hilarious if the basi- basically all of the governments have kept it to themselves. All of them have said, oh, yeah, it, it, it's fine. Do, do this thing. Yes. Yes, we'll get an unparalleled tactical advantage. Not realizing that they didn't really understand what the question was. <laughs> <laughs> that the aliens just assumed that everybody was talking because why wouldn't you? Yes. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. 
Those are all magnificently horrible possibilities. Indeed. Or it could just be a sunken city that's risen up and there's shoggoths. I mean, it could go either way. Why not both? (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) And on that note, we have run out of the um, laughable content of our show. Um, You're welcome. And I guess what that leaves is to announce the winner, if it can be called that, of the poll for the, um, the, the next exciting episode of The Big Red Couch. So, you have selected, by dint of pressing buttons on the internet, and possible other arcane methods. I throw chicken bones at the screen. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It's really a, you know... It's, it's a bit of a crapshoot. <laughs> oh, I, 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 it was way too difficult cleaning up the crapshoot. I'll stop now. The selected option for Big Red Couch 155 is Happy Campus Adventures, suggested by John Rea. Thank you, John. We'll have fun with that. I'm sure it'll be very chill. Is it just me, or does that sound like somebody sarcastically describing an awful family holiday? It might just be you. I mean, that's a valid option. say. <laughs> um, okay, which, which then brings us on to the vital participatory democracy part of the show, which also signals the show's end, so I'm sure there's a sigh of relief going on out there where we we reveal to you the exciting and uh, enthralling poll options for uh, episode 156, three of which you have already not selected. For shame. <laughs> hey, they have not collectively selected them. People may be enthusiastically, but alone, clicking on those options. So That is true. We, we, have, to, we have to acknowledge that it's, it's a participatory democracy or a complete sham. Or both. Or both. <laughs> or both. <laughs> But let's not spoil the surprise. Or start ranting around preferential voting. <laughs> Single transferable? No. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, your first option is VIP Zealot. Following up with Laser Plated Hero. Your third option is a carefully articulated curse against the common man. And up and coming to the scene, Chunk Weasel. No space. All caps. Elements wherever you feel they go. <laughs> Should we explain this at all? No, no, absolutely not. Fair enough. Under no circumstances should we provide an explanation for Chunk Weasel. Alright, so go forth and democratise, or whatever the uh, the verb is. Dem- democratically participate? Um, Indeed. Yes. Thank you for listening to our show. We hope you've enjoyed it, and we will catch you next time on The Big Red Couch for Happy Camper's Adventures. Yay! See ya! Want to hear more of our shenanigans? Then go to hoarde.net and click on the button that looks like a couch. The Big Red Couch is released under Attribution, Non-Commercial, Sharealike, 3.0 Unported from creativecommons.org. All music on the show comes from the album Universal Fluff Theory by Krakatoa. Visit them at krakatoa.com or follow the link from our page. See you next time!